Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It must have been so easy to write about rock back in the 1950s. Well, comparatively easy to today, I mean. Everything was so new, that's all you had to pay attention to. There wasn't exactly anything called rock history back then because this music had no history. What began as a spark in the early 1950s turned out to be the musical equivalent of the cosmological Big Bang. And as the years and decades passed, this music, which began as a fresh take on the 12-bar blues template, separated, segmented, stratified, mutated, evolved with increasing speed. New genres began to appear yearly, monthly, and sometimes even weekly. Today, it seems like every single day results in some kind of derivative spin-off sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-genre. This new sound and approach may gain traction and stay with us for some time, perhaps even carving out its own permanent space in the rock universe. More likely, though, a new genre will have a half-life shorter than Hydrogen 7. And to save you from looking that up, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of a second, uh, a decimal point followed by 23 zeros. But there's no stopping the fission and fusion of rock. We're always going to get new sounds. Keeping up with them is another matter. This is part of what makes writing a musical history of the 2010s so challenging. The number of iterations rock went through in that decade was absolutely insane. But if we're going to try to understand what happened to rock during that time, we're going to have to at least try. This is the History of the 2010s, Part 3. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. If you ever want to see how complicated popular music has become, head over to a site called Every Noise at Once. This is an attempt at, and here's the best definition I've found, to create an algorithmically generated, readability-adjusted scatter plot of the musical genre space based on data tracked and analyzed for 5,987 genre-shaped distinctions by Spotify. Which <laughs> is a lot to unpack. First, we need software to track all the genres of popular music that's out there these days. Second, Spotify has become the go-to source when it comes to declaring the birth of a new genre of music and giving that genre a name. And once again, as I sit here talking to you, every noise at once contains 5,987 different musical genres in the ever-expanding universe of popular music. 
And let me tell you something, it gets granular. Here are just a few names of these genres. Manitoba Country, Zim Dance Hall, Viking Folk, Ritual Ambient, Harsh Noise Wall. All right, let's, uh, let's click on that to see what artists are under that umbrella. Harsh Noise Wall bands include Werewolf Jerusalem, Sleep Column, Serene Ailment, and uh, oh, Sewer Election. Good name for a band. But let's narrow things down. What were some of the new sounds to emerge during the 2010s that shaped the size of the rock universe generally and the alt-rock universe specifically? Let's dive in. This, this pool is, is very, very deep. Like I said at the beginning, rock has been evolving since the 1950s. Now, though, thanks to technology that makes it possible for virtually anyone to make and distribute their own music, the changes and additions feel exponential, completely overwhelming. So for that reason, we're just going to have to generalize a little bit. The basic sounds are still with us. Rock, alternative, indie, goth, industrial, metal, synth-based music, ska, reggae, and so on. They're never going to go away. They are, however, always being challenged by something new. And what I want to do with this installment of our history of the 2010s is look at some of the new genres and sounds that came to our attention during that decade. And the first thing I want to put into the record is a style of vocal performance that's not new, but certainly got a new coat of paint over those 10 years. And we're going to call this whisper pop. Low-key, quiet, subdued, and sometimes breathy singing, almost exclusively by female artists. Some call it the indie girl voice. Others will point back to the 1980s and 90s when there was something called the little girl vocal. Whatever you want to call it, this is the exact opposite of the approach of someone like Celine Dion or Mariah Carey. And it's possible that the rise of whisper pop was in direct opposition to big diva performances. And if I had to nail down the most influential pioneer in this area during that decade, I'm going to have to go with Lana Del Rey. After several years in the wilderness, she broke through in 2012 with an album called Born to Die. It was all very noir and rather femme fatale with its storytelling and moodiness, evocative of many different subtle emotions. And we can hear it on songs like this. It's you, it's you, it's all for you. Everything I do, I'll tell you all the time. Heaven is a place on earth with you. Once Lana Del Rey started getting attention, there were followers. Lord, Billie Eilish, Grimes, and Selena Gomez are four more whisper-pop stars of the 2010s. The style became so popular that Antares, the company that gave us Autotune, created a new plugin for recording studio software called Aspire, which can artificially add a whisper-like quality to vocals, or at least augment that particular style of singing. From here, we can move to bedroom pop. And, and yes, this, this really wasn't an invention of the 2010s. Heck, an argument can be made that the Beach Boys were making this kind of music in the late 1960s. And there's a definite connection to both Dream Pop, which was a product of the 80s, and the lo-fi slacker sounds and attitude of the 1990s. The rise in the availability of home recording software and equipment made it possible for almost anyone to create professional-sounding recordings in their bedroom, hence the name. Whip something together in the privacy of your own home using a program like GarageBand, post it online for free, and, you know, basically you're in business. One of the attractive things about making music in this style is that it can be completely unfiltered. There are no intermediaries, like a producer or a record label that might want to offer suggestions or edits or notes. Bedroom Pop is another example of extreme do-it-yourself music making. Generally, the sounds are synthetic, 
electronic keyboards, drums, loops, maybe an acoustic guitar here and there. You may also pick up elements of vulnerability, insecurity, and naiveness with the vocals and the lyrics. There's an emphasis on intimacy and raw emotion. The overall sparseness of the production also adds to the vibe. And there were a number of bedroom pop acts that rose to prominence in the 2010s. You may have heard of Soccer Mommy, a singer from Nashville, Biba Doobie, a Filipino-British singer. But the biggest of them all was Billie Eilish, who turned some home recordings with her brother into a landslide of Grammy wins. So you're a tough guy, like you're really rough guy Just can't get enough guy, just always so puff guy I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type Make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type I'm the bad guy Another thing we should say about bedroom pop is its ties to the LGBTQ plus community. Because the style is so intimate and so personal, some artists use it to explore these particular themes. Take the case of Marie Ulven Ringheim, otherwise known as Girl in Red. She started making music in her bedroom in Horten, Norway, after her father gave her a USB mic for her laptop. Soon, she started posting songs on SoundCloud using the name Lydia X. After changing her name to Girl in Red, things kind of took off with this one song entitled, I Want to Be Your Girlfriend. From bedroom pop, we can slide over just a touch for a related new genre from the 2010s that's been dubbed vaporware. This is a subgenre of electronic music. No, wait, it's, it's, it's more like a, a micro-genre, which means that it's very, very specific in the way it sounds, and it's aimed at a small and specific audience. And let's be honest, this is a form of mood music. Vaporware took bits from psych, lounge music, R&B, and the chill wave of the aughts, and then slowed everything down. Vaporware also uses a technique called screwed and chopped, in which samples are added but also slowed down. Vaporware first began to appear in the early 2010s, and it wasn't only just sounds, but visuals. Vaporware is a very internet form of music that comes with memes and art and graphic design and typography and long threads on Reddit and bits of social and political commentary all often cloaked by anonymity. A lot of artists in this space are unknown and exist entirely online, releasing material under weird pseudonyms. Here's an example of a vaporware act that flashed brightly and briefly in the mid-2010s. They're an English-American collective known as 2814, featuring someone named HKE and someone else who goes by the name Telepath. They got some critical love for a 2015 album entitled Birth of a New Day, and this is part of something called recovery. Let's swing to the other end of the spectrum for this next new genre from the 2010s. It's known as Degent. It emerged as a new style of progressive metal. And the name comes from how guitarists mute the strings with the palm of their hand to make a specific sound, like Dijent. Now that you know what it's called, here it is. This is a Canadian Dijent band called Spirit Box. The track is from 2017, and it's called The Mara Effect Part 1.
Canadian digit band called Spirit Box. What other new rock and alt-rock genres were born in the 2010s? We'll continue that exploration in just a second. This is part three of our history of rock and alt-rock in the 2010s, and this time we're focusing on all the new flavors of music that were born during the decade. Here's an interesting sobriquet, post-progressive. This describes the music of a bunch of bands who looked at what groups like Radiohead were doing in the 2000s and then took it to the next level. Now, generally speaking, this music has deceptively simple melodies. But below that is some A-level complexity with some interesting textures, timbres, and harmonies. The range of sounds is quite wide. At the extreme end, we have Tool. We'll hear more on them during the next chapter of this series. And on the other, we have Public Service Broadcasting. Four guys from London whose best work features instrumentals with the only vocals being spoken word bits taken from old public information films, archival footage, material in the public domain, and even old propaganda. In 2015, they released an album entitled The Race for Space, which was essentially a history of the battle between the U.S. and the USSR between 1957 and 1972. This piece uses all kinds of telemetry and communication between Mission Control and Apollo 11. Okay, I'll flight the colors. I'm going around the horn. Okay, retro. Go. Vital. Go. Guide. Go. Control. Go. Falcom. Go. GNC. Go. Decom. Go. Surgeon. Go. Retro. Go. From post-progressive, let's dial things back to our next genre from the 2010s, hyperpop. And it's just like it sounds, an exaggerated interpretation on what it means to write a pop song. So that means a lot of earwormy hooks, lots of dance beats, EDM keyboards, plenty of auto-tune, and even a cartoonish feel, not unlike some of the stupidly hummable bubblegum songs from the 1960s. And yes, it can be pretty polarizing, largely because it's trying to be. It's an extreme form of pop designed to elicit extreme responses, so not for everybody. Hyperpop started in the UK in the early 2010s. The songs were ultra-catchy, almost, like I said, cartoonish in how pop they were. And a major pioneer was a woman named Sophie Zeon, who found a way to combine pop aesthetics with various flavors of EDM. Those who are into hyperpop consider her to be the godmother of this entire sound. Today, the best-known hyperpop band is probably 100 Gex, the duo of Dylan Brady and Lauren Les. They started up in St. Louis in 2015, and they honed a sound for a couple of years before squeezing out an album called 1000 Gex in 2019. And here's a sample of that. So you see what I mean? Everything about hyperpop depends on exaggerating all the elements of pop. It has its fans who see the potential, and by the end of the decade, 100 Gex had themselves a major label recording deal. Then we have indie folk. It's not exactly a new genre from the 2010s. I mean, its roots go back to the 60s or even the late 1950s, but it did have a new major coming out that decade. This is a corner of alt-rock where folk, blues, gospel, and even a little country came together. An emphasis is placed on rootsiness and authenticity. Instrumentation could be largely acoustic, and the vibe generally relaxed and quiet. At the center of this sound from the 2010s was Bonnie Vare, Fleet Foxes, Father John Misty, Sufjan Stevens, Mumford & Sons, and Canada's Strombellas, but a worldwide hit with a record called Hope, which, by the way, was picked up and released by the English label Glassnote, 
the same company that broke Mumford. When we return, a few more notable sounds from the 2010s that turned more than a few heads. While rock is still massively popular around the world, hip-hop is the musical genre driving culture in many countries and territories. Yes, there's competition, but these two major types of music often come together to create new and interesting hybrid genres. This has been happening since at least the 1980s. Remember the Aerosmith Run DMC crossover with Walk This Way in 1986? Faith No More loved to experiment with hip-hop sounds. And then we had the whole new metal thing at the end of the 1990s, which indirectly gave birth to Linkin Park, still one of the biggest bands of the 21st century. This cross-pollination continued into the 2010s. For example, we saw the birth of trap metal during the decade. Like the name says, this genre brings together trap music, a type of hip-hop that came out of Atlanta, and heavy metal. City Morgue, Suicide Boys, Takashi 69 and Ghost Mane are some of the names from that scene. Here's a taste of trap metal. This is Zilakami and Sosmula with a 2018 track entitled 33rd Black Glass. Another new hip-hop rock crossover genre was emo rap. Again, it's just like it sounds. This genre was birthed on SoundCloud more than anywhere else. Basically, we get all of Emo's hits when it comes to themes and feels mated with hip-hop. Very personal, very vulnerable stuff. Heartbreak, fear, anxiety, depression, loneliness. You'll hit names like Lil Peep, Juice World, and Extension, all of whom sadly have died. And if you go deep, you'll find artists with names like Bones, Thraxhouse, and GBC, which stands for Goth Boy Clique. And here they are with Tiramisu. Next up, we have alternative rap. This isn't exactly a melding of alt-rock and rap, but instead it's rap that's an alternative to the mainstream of rap, just like alt-rock was once an alternative to the mainstream of rock. So in other words, it's a more experimental approach to hip-hop, just like we saw with rock back in the day. Here is a sample of that. Death Grips is an American trio who messed around with all kinds of different ideas rooted in rap rock, but encompass much more. The track is called Blackjack. Related to alternative rap is industrial hip-hop. Again, you can figure out what that sounds like. And like rap rock, its roots can be found in the middle 1980s when hip-hop elements were fused into beat-heavy keyboard and drum machine music. Ministry, KMFDM, and Nine Inch Nails dabbled in this, especially with various 12-inch remixes. The sound of Public Enemy's production, a team known as the Bomb Squad, had something going on too, especially when they brought in Anthrax to duet on their 1988 album Bring the Noise. That particular sound gained momentum in the 1990s. Think Rage Against the Machine, 
Ice-T's Body Counts, and Beastie Boys songs like Sabotage. Any number of new metal bands also helped. And today, industrial rap is its own thing and ranges from Kanye West when he released his Yeezus album to artists with names like Corporate Adventure and Dalek and Saul Williams. Trent Reznor is a big fan of that guy. Then there's the band Horror. Corey Taylor of Slipknot liked them enough to appear on at least one single. And Travis Barker of Blink-182 has produced some of their songs. Now let's listen to this group called Fever 333. In 2019, they released an album entitled Strength in Numbers. This is a single which straddles hip-hop, industrial, rap metal, trap metal, and even a little hardcore punk. It's called Burn It. Every decade has its share of revivals. Older sounds are rediscovered, recycled, and approached with fresh ears. And there were plenty of rivals in the world of rock and alt-rock in the 2010s, too. And that's going to be our focus next time on the history of that decade. Meanwhile, you can catch up with Parts 1 and 2 wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, there were hundreds of other podcasts and topics to choose from. And yes, I did say hundreds. Just download and go. Should you need any music news and information on a daily basis, there's my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It comes with a free daily newsletter that you might as well get. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and threads, and email can go to alan at alancross.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you.